and welcome to a special episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, I want to take time to think about the recent court decision about the government's controversial plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. The name of this case is the Crown on the Application of AAA and Secretary of State for the Home Department, and the citation is 2022-EWHC-3230-ADMIN. Most people listening will be broadly familiar with the issue at the heart of this case, but a brief summary is always helpful. A judicial review claim has been brought by a number of individuals and organisations challenging the decision by the Home Secretary to remove asylum seekers to Rwanda, have their applications decided there instead of the UK. The claimants in this case travelled to the UK from France as part of the many small boat crossings that have been in the headlines in recent weeks and months. The judge in this case considered a range of arguments and legal factors, including the human rights questions, the refugee conventions, uh, what consideration the Home Secretary should give, and the individual circumstances of this case. For our sake, we will try and keep things at a pretty high level and just address the various generic grounds of challenge that were identified. The main submission by the claimants was that the decision by the Home Secretary under paragraph 345C of the Immigration Rules was unlawful because the idea that Rwanda can be deemed a safe third country is legally flawed. What does it mean to be legally flawed? Well, the claimants pull on a few interesting strands. Does the policy breach Article 3 of the European Convention on Human Rights, the prohibition on torture, inhumane or degrading treatment, by risking refoulement contrary to the Refugee Convention. Refoulement here simply means the asylum seeker is sent back to the country they were escaping from. Has the Home Secretary made any material errors of fact? Is the conclusion rational? For the court, the real questions are not about the judge's own thoughts on the policy, but instead about the decision-making process by the Home Secretary. They want to firstly know if the conclusion of the Home Secretary was based on a thorough assessment and sufficient evidence. Then, secondly, whether the Home Secretary could lawfully reach the conclusion that the policy would not give rise to a real risk of refoulement or other breach of Article 3 of the Convention. Under that first heading, there is really a direct conflict between the Home Secretary and the serious concerns raised by the UN High Commissioner for Refugees about the capability of the Rwandan system. However, the main case in this area is Ilyas and Ahmed against Hungary, which simply requires the public authority to make a thorough examination of all relevant, generally available information. In these proceedings, the Home Office relied on assessment documents from May this year that referred to a range of sources, including visits by Home Office officials to Rwanda. On that basis, the Home Secretary did comply with her obligations under the law. The second sub-issue we just mentioned was about the overall adequacy of the asylum system in Rwanda, and again the UN High Commissioner has some rather disturbing evidence. It seems Rwanda previously had an asylum agreement with the Israeli government, where asylum seekers who arrived in Israel were offered a choice between detention in Israel, or $3,500 and 
removal to Rwanda. That might be tempting for a destitute asylum seeker, but the evidence showed that those who went to Rwanda were offered no support, many soon left Rwanda, and then some asylum seekers actually ended up getting transferred to Uganda. During their investigations, the UK did not even consider this other agreement as part of its decision-making process. However, as we hinted at before, the question is about the lawfulness of the decision by the Home Secretary, and the judge held that the decision itself was fine. The agreement between the UK and Rwanda is based on years of relations between the two countries and extensive negotiations about the agreement between the two countries. Furthermore, the evidence from Lawrence Butternick at the UN was useful but ultimately carries no overriding weight. The next main issue identified in submissions was about Schedule 3, Paragraph 17 of the Asylum and Immigration Treatment of Claimants etc. Act 2004. This deals with the certification of countries that are safe for individuals. The argument by the claimants is that this should be construed as only allowing for certification on an ad hoc basis for individual cases, not for more general policies like that for Rwanda. Using the power in this way undermines other parts of the schedule. This was rejected by the court because the schedule does not work in this way. Schedule 3 does not depend on whether certification is ad hoc or part of a general approach. Instead, it represents a hierarchy of assumptions that the Secretary of State must take into account. The fourth issue was about a possible misunderstanding of the immigration rules, but this was rejected as well. The basic idea is that under Rule 345A, the Home Secretary could only treat a claim as inadmissible if it was shown that he could now instead claim protection from one of the other countries he has passed through on his way to the UK, such as France. While the court did agree that the wording is not especially clear, the overall purpose of the provision is clear, and accepting the argument here would severely undermine paragraph 345d. Furthermore, the claimant argued that paragraphs 345a and 345c assume a sequence of decision-making, but that didn't cut the mustard either because there is nothing in the rules to stop the Home Secretary from taking preparatory steps of removal under 345c, even when the decision on admissibility remains under consideration per 345a. The fifth issue was whether the guidance on inadmissibility is even lawful because it is something that should be incorporated into the immigration rules. Furthermore, the guidance that does exist is extremely vague. The problem that the claimants faced here was the distinction between something that should be a rule and something that is a matter of discretion. The rule is that certain people within a category will be, quote, eligible for removal for Rwanda, end quote, but whether that person will actually be removed is based on discretion, and so guidance is fine. Meanwhile, so far as arguing that the guidance should be more detailed, there isn't really any legal authority to support such a requirement. The sixth issue was whether removal to Rwanda was contrary to Directive 2005-85 of Retained EU Law, which sets out minimum standards for granting or withdrawing refugee status. Unfortunately for the claimants here, they are dealing with a world after Brexit, where it is the UK law that takes precedence, 
even when that comes from the immigration rules instead of, say, an Act of Parliament. Schedule 1, Paragraph 6 of the Immigration and Social Security Coordination EU Withdrawal Act 2020 says, quote, Any other EU-derived rights cease to be recognised and available in domestic law so far as they are inconsistent with any provision made by or under the Immigration Act, end quote. That wording is also broad enough to cover the immigration rules that are made under the 1971 Immigration Act. The seventh issue is whether the decisions are a breach of the Refugee Convention because removal without consideration of the merits of the asylum claim is contrary to the Convention, as well as contrary to Section 2 of the Asylum and Immigration Appeals Act 1993. However, the Court did not feel that the Convention actually obliges contracting states to determine asylum claims on their merits. Instead, the requirement is not to expel or return a refugee to a country where their life or freedom would be threatened. That is quite different and not as onerous on the signatory. Furthermore, the policy seeks to remove asylum seekers to a safe third country, and that is consistent with the Convention. The eighth issue is whether there has been a breach of the Data Protection Act 1998 or the UK GDPR. Paragraph 18 of the Memorandum of Understanding provides for the processing of personal data, and it is argued by the claimants that transferring personal data in this way is unlawful. It was argued that this would itself invalidate immigration decisions, but that does not carry much water because there is no reason why an immigration decision would be invalidated by something that is only loosely connected. There might be a point in the future where the question of personal data is argued in full, but for the time being the court was happy to say that the processing of personal data is a proportionate way of achieving an effective immigration policy. The ninth issue was an allegation of discrimination under Article 14 of the European Convention on Human Rights. It was suggested that there was indirect discrimination at hand because the people who tend to be crossing the channel are predominantly young men from the Middle East. Much more favourable treatment has been given to those fleeing from Ukraine. The court felt that that was a flawed comparison, and went on to say that the criterion that the Home Secretary uses, whether the individual made a dangerous journey, is justified. That criterion aims to protect refugees from criminal gangs, and does not specifically address young Middle Eastern men. Other claims of discrimination made by other applicants also failed. The tenth issue was irrationality, which is a legitimate ground of judicial review, but it comes back to whether the Home Secretary was justified in concluding Rwanda is a safe third country, and that is something we covered earlier on. Finally, the court looked at the public sector equality duty which comes from section 149 of the Equality Act 2010. It was submitted by the claimants that the Equality Impact Assessment is not sufficient to satisfy this duty because it does not address the higher rejection rate for claims from those originating in the Middle East. The problems faced integrating into Rwandan society and the assessment came after the Memorandum of Understanding so does not represent a genuine compliance with the public sector equality duty. However, for the court, none of these issues were severe enough to represent a breach of the duty. There is a lot to digest there, but 
I think the fact that some people were surprised by the decision and others not so much probably tells us a lot about the case. The legal issues are finely balanced, and I think a lot can come down to the judges that are hearing the case. If the judge in question wants not to be seen as interfering in government policy, then it is easy to do that, as we have seen from the discussion up to this point. However, there are clearly enough legal concerns about the policy such that there would be legitimate grounds for intervention if a judge felt it was the right thing to do. This case will surely be appealed. The High Court will make a formal decision in January, but between the legal issues and the public importance of the case, this is unlikely to be the last we will see of these proceedings. As for the decision today, the government was clearly delighted with the outcome. A win under law justifies their policy and gives the Conservatives a certain high ground that will delight their base. I think, however, that the actual result is not as promising for those in the Home Office. In this episode, I focused on the general legal points, but the High Court also concluded that the Home Secretary must properly consider the circumstances of each individual claimant and decide whether their asylum claim would be better decided in the UK and if there are reasons the person should not be relocated to Rwanda. This alone will cause a great deal of work for officials, and the hope that hundreds of refugees will be sent to Rwanda now seems pie in the sky. If you add to that the likely appeals against such decisions on various grounds, such as the right to private and family life, the flow of migrants out of the UK is, in the best case scenario, looking like a trickle. Maybe that will be a sufficient victory for the base of the Conservative Party, but Given the cost of the policy overall, the agreement will turn into an expensive flop when that money could be better spent almost anywhere else. Outside of that, the whole thing is just clearly inhumane and will not do anything to actually stop migrant crossings. Ultimately, this cruel, expensive and bloated project is symptomatic of the government that devised it. Well, thank you very much for listening to this special bonus edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast. And I would also like to take this opportunity to wish you all a wonderful Christmas, should you celebrate. I will be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!